I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center. If you want to find something alive in the ocean, your best bet is to dive near a coral reef. Corals harbor about a quarter of all marine life. What's more, people and corals share something in common, our genetics. There are a bunch of interesting things about corals. And if you look at what kind of genes they have, how many genes they have, turns out they are very, very similar, strangely, to humans and mammals in general. That's biologist Mikhail Matz of UT Austin. He studies the whole genome of coral, all its DNA, to learn how coral evolve and how they relate to each other and their surroundings. Most coral live in shallow water, but their data run deep. Computational resources of Texas Advanced Computer Center play a huge role in actually enabling these analyses. You end up with literally terabytes of data from the sequencing data, from next generation sequencing of different kind. And uh, to boil this down to actual answer of what biological processes are responsible for your feature of interest, this requires a really uh, intricate and multi-stage uh, bioinformatic pipeline. Much of it is taken up by the tech computers. Matz was part of a study funded by the National Science Foundation and the Australian Institute of Marine Science. In June of 2015, they published results in the journal Science that found the first evidence that corals can genetically adapt to warmer waters from climate change. Basically, they already have the mutations which will save them from impeding heat. It's only a matter of redistributing those mutations throughout the coral populations. Matz and his team began their study at the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the largest coral reef in the world. Its troubles are big, too. The Great Barrier Reef has lost an estimated 50% of its live coral since 1985. Still, it's so big, it spans 15 degrees of latitude, roughly covering the same area as Italy or Japan. And from end to end, it can dwell in waters that vary 4 degrees Celsius, that's 7 degrees Fahrenheit, and even higher. Matt sampled corals from one of the warmest locations on the Great Barrier Reef and cross-fertilized them with corals of the same species from a much cooler location to see if they would pass their heat tolerance to their offspring. Basically, long story short, from just this one experiment, we can measure how the larvae inherit the uh, heat tolerance, depending on who the parents are. What we have found is that the heat tolerance of the coral babies which come out of these crosses can vary up to tenfold, depending on whether their parents are coming from warmer or colder locations, which means that parents from warm locations do pass on uh, their genetic capacity to tolerate hot water. And so that was the good finding, that good news that we were, that's the main take home message actually. To delve deeper into the question of how corals adapt to heat, Matz measured which genes work differently or are expressed in coral larvae to resist heat. And also we looked at uh, regions in the genome which are conferring resistance to heat by taking these larvae and basically cooking them up until almost all of them die and sampling the very last survivors, the hardest of the hard larvae who are uh, tolerating the heat the most, and uh, compared their genetic composition across the genome to the rest of the larvae, and found the regions in the genome which very strongly correlate with that heat tolerance. So we did this at the quantitative genetics level, that's where basically you measure how the parents transfer their heat tolerance, at the gene expression level, 
and at the whole genome uh, mapping of the quantitative trait loci level. That's what that's the methodology which is called QTL mapping, finding the regions in the genome which are responsible for your trait of interest. Since 2009, Matt's group has used hundreds of thousands of CPU hours on the TAC Lone Star 2 and now retired Ranger supercomputers. They use them to be the first to sequence and analyze the transcriptome, or complete RNA, of the coral species he continues to study today, Acropora millipora. This latest coral study used about 386,000 CPU hours on Lone Star 4. I'm an old-timer. I'm working on Lone Star simply because I know it really well and because the queues are shorter. <laughs> Everybody moved to Stampede and my tasks, uh, they are not terribly computationally intensive. I don't need fast processors. I need a lot of computers working in the same time, uh, even if they are not as super fast as they could possibly be, like Stampede computers would have done this instead of three hours, uh, they would have done it in maybe one hour. Well, I can wait three hours. <laughs> but it's all minor details, actually. The Stampede and Lone Star systems are completely interchangeable, and all my pipelines and uh, bioinformatic procedures can totally be transferred from between the clusters and to any other cluster which uses the same kind of operation system and job scheduling. It's an all very, very standard. Part of the work that Matt's lab did was to show others how to fish for gene data pearls themselves. They developed open source code freely available on GitHub that Matt says anyone can use to measure gene expression on a whole genome scale. These are the techniques which we developed in our lab specifically for application to the known model organisms. All of these techniques which we used to measure these things were developed over the past few years in my lab. They are uh, low cost, super efficient, and applicable to non-model organisms. So you don't need huge genomic databases and huge community of people working on the same organism, developing tools, developing the databases for this. We can do everything from scratch. That's another side effect of this paper is that now anybody can take their own favorite worm, bird, fly, or flower and do basically the same kind of experiments applying the same methodologies as we developed uh, and showcased in this paper. The take-home message of the study, said Matt, relates to anyone interested in helping save coral reefs from steadily warming waters associated with climate change. Probably the reason why the paper got so much press is because it has a really nice and clear-cut take-home message for how you could possibly save your coral reefs. I'm assuming that norm, like people would care, but like what, how, what can we do to help corals survive global warming? So our research uh, says that there is one rather easy way uh, how you can help corals is simply spread the mutations out. You can transplant, we can take corals from the warm location and transplant them to the locations where you think those mutations might be needed and let them naturally breed within the local populations. Just help them do this. They would have done it naturally, so you're not doing, you're not doing anything unnatural, like selection, or breeding, or anything. You're just helping the natural process of uh, mutation spread through coral populations. And so this is a, a very important message for reef managers, and people are now seriously considering switching their reef restoration programs to kind of achieve these results. 
That's incredible. That must yeah. feel great. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, pretty happy about this. You've been listening to biologist Mikhail Matz of UT Austin. The study, Genomic Determinants of Coral Heat Tolerance Across Latitudes, appeared in the journal Science, June of 2015. The authors are Groves Dixon, Sarah Davies, Galina Agliamova, and Mikhail Matz of the Department of Integrative Biology, University of Texas at Austin, Eli Meyer, Department of Integrative Biology, Oregon State University, and Line K. Bay at the Australian Institute of Marine Science. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.